also should tell you that uh, part of this morning's message is uh, to somewhat analyze uh, our faith that we hold because there is not just the genuine article, but there's also counterfeit faith uh, or counterfeit faiths, plural. And so I agonize somewhat over this message here today and uh, because I always want to encourage people in their faith. But today we might be cutting a little bit close to the bone at different times and it's not about discouraging you but it's simply shining the light on what's there to make sure that we're holding the right the genuine article in our hands so with that uh I would like to read from First uh, Peter chapter 1. And by the way, the title of today's message is Revelation-Based Christianity versus Result-Based Christianity. So I'm reading from First Peter chapter 1, verse 6. It says that in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And of course, when it says there, receiving the end of your faith, uh, one translation says receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is the ultimate salvation when we leave this earth going to heaven. Of course, our faith is not just for going to heaven. It is for here and now. But I would like to speak about... Uh, probably more about saving faith today in terms of making sure we get to heaven uh, and we will speak in the weeks to come about faith as to how to use it in the here and now in terms of getting your healing and, and laying a hold of the promises of God in, 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 in other areas. Um, this passage of scripture that we've just read here, the Bible speaks about, the, uh, it speaks about genuine Christians with genuine faith. Uh, genuine faith is the type of faith that has stood the test of various trials and troubles. And since it has been found to be genuine in nature, it will result in the salvation of our souls. When we talk about genuine faith, I mean, naturally, when we talk about genuine faith, uh, we need to realize that there are also counterfeit types of faith, make-believe, uh, false types of faith. Uh, and of course, it cannot be overstated that ultimately only the souls of people with the genuine faith will go to heaven. All right? And uh, uh, the, the counterfeit types of faith will not result in the salvation of anyone's soul. That's why earlier on I used an example of standing in front of a house with a locked door needing the key. And... Uh, and uh, have you know that when you go to toy shops, you can buy whole bundles of plastic keys, toy keys. They come real cheap, like you can buy them for a few cents and kids can play with them and so forth. But those keys will unlock no, to no door. And you know the devil is holding a bundle of plastic keys and rattling them, making them sound really good uh, because they come real cheap. Uh, and uh, people have inadvertently uh, and mistakenly grabbed a bundle of those keys expecting to get to heaven. And the tragedy is they're counterfeit keys. They're, they're, it deals with counterfeit types of faith. And the tragedy is that uh, 
people, or should I say churches right around the world are sometimes filled with people who have deluded themselves or have been deluded into thinking that they're holding the right key. And the tragedy is that it is in fact not the right key. And so that's why we're speaking about uh, these types of things this morning. It is the beginning of the year. And uh, just making sure that everybody uh, is holding the right key in their hand. Uh, if not, we will give you an opportunity at the end of this service to uh, receive salvation, to receive uh, the genuine kind of faith. Not only that, but we expect uh, the recorded messages to go to different places. And you know, our tapes and our CDs go right around the place, uh, uh, up and down the country. Some have been sent overseas and blessing people's lives. And so the message today is not just for you and me, for the fact that we're here today, but it is for other people. People that perhaps you might know or know of that could do with this message, it could make all the difference to bring them into salvation. And so today, we will discuss the difference between genuine faith and one specific type of counterfeit faith. Um, I've been saved for some 30 years. Uh, Vanessa and I have been uh, saved and born again and serving God for some 30 years now. And uh, you know, in, in, in a period of 30 years, you, you meet people, you meet a lot of people, and uh, people come into your lives and then they go out of your lives. That's just how it works. Uh, uh, and, and you know, you, you build up relationships, you build up friendships, and friendships are retained. But even when people move away, they're still your friends, and, and other people drift off, you know, they just drift through your life. And, uh, and I've seen people uh, living a certain type of Christianity that uh, looks good from a distance, perhaps, but when you look a little bit closer, you suddenly realize that this is not the Bible Christianity that the Bible speaks about. Uh, then people uh, make decisions, uh, people uh, stop serving God, and suddenly something happens that throws him out of the race, and you think, what's going on here? And uh, I'm one to observe. Uh, I learn a lot by observing, and then I learn by praying. I say, God, what's going on here? Well, why, why is this happened, and why has that happened? And, 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 and sometimes, you know, God speaks in regards to specific things specifics and uh, uh, recently I was praying about one uh, particular person and I said Lord what's going on here and God said that this person lives a results uh, based faith or lives out of a results based faith uh, which of course is one of those counterfeit faiths uh, that we're talking about here this morning and uh, and of course, that's not just uh, um, uh, the case in one specific person. There's people right around the world that lift this type of faith. So that's why we're talking about it today, uh, to highlight it and then to make sure that we've got the genuine article. Let me just say that genuine faith comes from a revelation that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of the living God. All right? That's where genuine faith comes from. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus is in a discussion with his disciples. And uh, if we had a bit more time, we will back up a little bit further than verse 16, uh, than verse 15. But Jesus is asking his disciples, and he say, Whom do men say that I am? In other words, what are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And, and, and some of them replied, saying, Well, when, uh, some of them are saying that you're John the Baptist, and others are saying you're Jeremiah, and others are saying this, and others are they saying that. And then Jesus turned around. And it says in verse 6, and he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And you know, friends, Jesus is asking you today, personally, specifically, and he's asking me, and he's saying, Who do you say that I am? Because that determines whether we hold the right key in our hand. And, uh, and uh, Peter, Simon Peter answered, and he said, You are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and he said to him, Blessed are you, Simon uh, Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades rather, shall not prevail against it. Let's just talk about that passage of Scripture a little bit, because there's a lot in there. And for the sake of our study, we need to realize that... uh, that, uh, that uh, you know, this passage here has been wrangled over the years by various groupings and, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, uh, within, you know, within Christendom. And some people have made out that, uh, that the church is actually built on a man. But, uh, in fact, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just read some of the facts that I've written down here. Um, first one there says that Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, or that he was the Christ, the promised Messiah. Uh, Many people look to Jesus as being a prophet, a prophet. But the Bible tells us he's not just a prophet, he's the prophet. All right? Uh, That Jesus is uh, the Son of God. That Jesus is the promised one that the Old Testament spoke about, the deliverer that was going to come to set God's people free from their sins. The Messiah, he's called in the Old Testament. Uh, The New Testament uh, calls him the Christ. Uh, the anointed one, uh, same person, different terminology, all right? Because in, in, in the Old Testament, we're dealing with Hebrew. In the New Testament, we're dealing with Greek, uh, with Greek. And so Peter had not received this knowledge from man, nor had he figured it out. Can I suggest to you that in terms of who Jesus Christ is, it's not something we can figure out. We can study and we can search and so forth, but it is something that is ultimately revealed to us. All right? So man has not told that to Peter. Uh, Jesus went on to say, it says that Peter had uh, this knowledge revealed to him by God the Father. Because Jesus said to, to Peter, he says, Flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Peter, you've had revelation, and my Father in heaven has given that to you. All right? It's not something that we figure out, not something that, that we sort of um, uh, arrive at by deduction or by conclusion. It is something that is revealed to us. Very important. All right? And then it also says there that Jesus Christ is building his church on the rock of revelation knowledge. All right, some people said that Peter was that rock, uh, but that's not true because there's two different words used in there. Uh, Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter. And in the, in the uh, Greek language, that means Petra. You are Petra. Uh, but on this Petros, Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can I suggest to you that uh, if the church were built on a man, you and I would be in serious trouble, all right? Because man is weak, man fails, man makes mistakes. Uh, Only just to mention a few problems with that theory. But Jesus has built the church on revelation knowledge. And friend, we've said this before, but it bears repeating again, that your Christianity is only as strong as what your revelation knowledge is deep. And so if revelation knowledge is not there, then there is no faith there. Then there is no Christianity there to speak of. Uh, If if Christianity is shallow, uh, then when the trials and the tribulations and and, and stuff happens, then people get blown out the water. Uh, and so it's understanding that Jesus Christ has not built the church on man. He's built it on revelation knowledge. And 
and, and we need to remember that it is built on a specific uh, type of revelation knowledge, and it is the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, not anybody else, but Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the anointed one that the Old Testament spoke about, and he's the Son of God. All right. Uh, now, there are some more facts written down. Uh, and, and I guess it's all uh, moving towards what I really want to talk about in terms of the genuine faith and then the counterfeit types of faith that we see around today. Um, first point there under more facts says that a genuine faith is a revelation-based faith. In other words, the genuine faith has a revelation at its base. So therefore, if there's no revelation, you have no faith. All right. Uh, then secondly, it is based on the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we've already said that. Just bears repeating again. Then the third point there says that revelation-based faith is centered on the person of Jesus Christ and on his sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary. And of course, Jesus died on the cross not because he's committed any crimes, but because we've committed a crime. All right? The Bible speaks about sin, and it speaks about sins. Sins is the things that we do wrong, but sin is the condition that we're born with. It is the sin nature that is within every human being that has been handed down from generation to generation to generation, and is in every human being, starting from Adam all the way down to every other human being except Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was not fathered by uh, Joseph, who was married uh, to, to Mary, uh, to Jesus' mother, but uh, uh, Jesus was fathered by God Almighty himself. And therefore, Jesus did not have a sin nature like every other human being, but he had God's nature. Uh, he had perfection within him. And therefore, he qualified to be the perfect sacrifice on the cross because a second-grade lamb never qualified uh, under the Old Testament system for sacrificial lambs. It had to be a perfect lamb. That's why God got really upset with the people because they brought the lambs that were half dead already and said, all right, Lord, I'll sacrifice this lamb to you. And God says, I don't want the half dead ones. I don't want the lame. I don't want the blind. I don't want the one that had broken a leg already. He says, I want perfect lambs. And the reason why he wanted that is because all of that sacrificing in the Old Testament pointed towards Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was to come. And he was perfect and he died on the cross. All right. And so uh, only a perfect sacrifice will do. Interesting, too, that in the Old Testament, before they killed that Passover lamb, and we really, I wish we had more time to get into all the details of that, but many of you understand what I'm talking about in terms of the Passover lamb that was killed once a year to atone for the sins of the people, that they had to take this lamb uh, and, and watch it for two weeks. They had to take that lamb on the first day of the month, and they had to kill it on the 14th day of the month. And every day, they had to examine this lamb 
to make sure that there wasn't any defects with it, to make sure it wasn't lame or blind or something else wrong with it. And interesting too, that before Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, they examined him. He went from court to court to court, and they could find no fault in him. That's why eventually they charged him on, on what we might call trumped-up charges. They made up something about him to condemn him to death because they could find nothing wrong in him. He was examined, and then ultim ultimately he was crucified on the cross. And our faith, genuine faith, is based on that fact. Uh, so the faith that we have, the genuine faith, is centered on a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. All right? And it is centered on that sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary. Lastly, it says that, therefore, genuine faith is centered on a person, and it is seated on a historical event. It's very important now. I know this is somewhat, uh, uh, there's a lot of detail there, but it's important that you follow me. All right, so if I'm standing here and I'm standing on the timeline, I'm headed into the future, uh, then in terms of my faith, in terms of your faith, if you're genuinely born again and you have to correct the right, the genuine article, that our faith is centered on a person and his name is Jesus Christ and he's with me if I'm in tomorrow or in yesterday or today, the person is always with me. All right, But our faith is also seated in the past in terms of the sacrifice, sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. So in some, in some respects, our faith is, a, is retro in the sense that it is seated on a historical event. All right? Centered on a person, seated on a historical event. Very important, uh, and I'll refer back to that in just a little while. I have a quote here from one of the Bible commentaries, and there are many Bible commentaries. Many of them are really quite good. Uh, uh, <clears throat> some of them are excellent. And this one here, called the Bible Exposition Commentary, comments about that passage that we've read earlier on in 1 Peter, where the Bible speaks about genuine faith, and it speaks about uh, that our faith is tested and so forth. And it says that a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. That, that makes good sense. Uh, it's like a, a key that cannot be tested to make sure it's not one of them cheap plastic keys. Uh, it can't be trusted. You couldn't walk up to the burly, burly, uh, burly, pearly gate, <laughs> get it right, uh, as it were, with just dangling a set of keys. I got the right one unless you have tested that thing. Uh, and in any case, people who are not safe won't get anywhere near the pearly gate. Can I just assure you of that? Uh, <clears throat> and so it says, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Uh, too many professing Christians have a, fault, a false faith, and this will be revealed in the trials of life. The seed that fell on shallow soil produced rootless plants, and the plants died when the sun came up. This is speaking about the parable of the sower. Um, some of you know it. We'll refer to that in just a little while again. It says the sun in the parable represents tribulation or persecution. The person who abandons his faith when the going gets tough is only proving that he really had no faith at all. I don't know about you, but I find that a real wake-up call. I find that really challenging because 
<laughs> it's got to be a good thing to analyze to make sure we're holding the genuine faith in our heart. In fact, the Bible uh, also says, it says, examine yourself to make sure that you're in the faith. Uh, and so, therefore, there's merits in us looking at that and to say, okay, what is this faith that I'm holding in my heart? Is this the genuine article or is it a counterfeit sort of a deal that will give me warm, fuzzy feelings, but ultimately won't be the key that will help me to get into heaven? <coughs> Excuse me. So, Let's talk about this type of faith that I would like to discuss today. Um, in, in a broad sort of, sort of a sense, we can call it results-based Christianity or results-based faith. So one such false or counterfeit faith uh, is what we might call a results-based faith. The results-based faith is not based on the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is based on specific results that it expects to receive by doing religious duties. Now let me stand on my timeline again so that I can explain to you what I'm talking about today. Uh, in terms of the genuine faith, it is centered on a person and it is seated on a historical fact, on a historical event. The results type faith, which is really not faith at all, but we call it a results-based faith, uh, is also centered on a person, but not on the person of Jesus Christ, but on the person of self. And then it is not seated on a historical event, but it is always looking forward to the next blessing. It is always looking forward to the next result of, I've done this, and so God's blessed me, and I'm now, I've now got uh, uh, my answer to my prayer. So in other words, it is always looking forward to the next uh, result that he can achieve to say, oh, man, look at this. God's really blessed me. God must be true. Um, can I suggest to you that whether you experience blessing or not, God's true anyway. God's trueness has nothing to do with what you experience. All right? And so people with a genuine faith, we have a retro type faith, that it always looks back to the completed work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. It is that event that, uh, that our faith is seated on. People with a results type faith have got a forward faith, which really is no faith at all. But in people's minds, in some people's minds, it makes sense. So they experience another blessing and say, oh, wow, Jesus really loves me. Look at that. Friend, the fact that Jesus loves, loves us is not derived by what we experience. The fact that Jesus loves us is a revelation knowledge that comes from the Word. All right? And so if people are always wrapped up in the temporary, and, and, and can I assure you that in terms of temporary blessings, I'm the first one to put up my hand. I, I, I'm a great believer in, in every believer being healed, in every believer being prosperous in every believer being, being, uh, being uh, experiencing peace and joy and the goodness of the Lord in every respect of their lives. But friends, the reality is that there are trials and temptations. The reality is that there's challenges in the Christian walk. And that the reality is that only the genuine faith can withstand those challenges and the results type faith falls over so soon as the first challenge comes along. All right? 
And so these people with a results-type faith have a forward faith, and they derive their, their sense of, of validating their faith by what they've just experienced. God must be true. He's just blessed me. He's done this and this and this for me. And then that faith pretty soon wanes. And so somehow they struggle, they stumble into another blessing. And say, oh, wow, isn't God good? Look what God's done for me now. Friend, as I've said before, God is good regardless of what you and I experience. All right? The goodness of the Lord is spoken about in the Bible. And you and I are called to believe the Bible and to not go by experiences because experiences in the Christian life are not necessarily a good teacher in the sense of that we are, we are uh, determining God's validity and God's existence by what we experience. Uh, and certainly, many of us have come into the kingdom of God as a result of an experience. Somewhere, somehow, we've experienced something, but that experience resulted in a revelation that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then we need to carry on on that faith rather than faith in the experience that we've had. <laughs> Let me carry on. If you're not quite with me, <laughs> you will catch up. I'm sure that this is going to help you today. And it's not just about you. It's about the people that you know to encourage them to make sure that they're holding the right key. All right? So people with a results-based faith say, if God does this for me, I will go to church. So in other words, their commitment has already got a condition attached to it. Whereas a genuine believer commits their life to Jesus Christ and attaches no conditions. Uh, and, uh, and also they say, if God gives me that, I will worship Him. And so you see, worship of God is determined by, by what they experience rather than based on the revelation of what Jesus Christ has done for us way back already. Because He's already taken care of everything. He's already paid for us. He's already uh, made the sacrifice. And we worship Him on account of that, not just because of what He does. Now, the Bible speaks of praise and of worship. We praise God for, for what He's done but we worship Him for who He is. All right? Very important. Very important. Then people also say, I will believe as long as I see a steady flow of God's blessing into my life. And this is what I mean with a forward type faith. They say, I will believe as long as I see a steady flow of God's blessing in my life. I'm here today and God's blessed me, so I believe. I'm here tomorrow and God still blessed me, so I still believe. I get into the day after tomorrow and where's the blessing of God? Oh, what's the point in believing God? So in other words, their faith is not based at all on a historical fact and it is not centered on the person of Jesus Christ, but it is centered on the person themselves of what they experience, or what they get or not get or where they're missing out. And it is, it is, as it were, uh, it is, as it were, seated on experiences that may be there or not be there. Therefore, this is not a solid foundation for any type of faith at all. These types of people also say, "I will tithe as long as I get mightily blessed." Um, believers with a genuine faith tithe regardless, because you see, my friend, with this type of faith. Uh, with a results type faith, the devil will make sure 
that something goes down uh, that will not be so good. And not only that, but sometimes he might not be able to interfere with our circumstances, but he interferes with our mind. And the devil makes us, tricks us into thinking that something is actually not as good as what it could be or should be, and uh, tries to discourage us, uh, tries to discourage us, lies to us, tells us that God no longer loves us because, after all, look at your life. What a mess it is. How can God love you if you look at your life? Friend, we don't derive the knowledge of God. Uh, of the fact that God loves us by what we experience. We derive uh, the love of the knowledge of God in our lives by revelation uh, and by God's word. A, a, a retro, a backward faith and a forward faith. That's the difference of what we're talking about here today. People say, uh, with that type of faith, they will say, I will even serve you, Lord, if you answer all of my prayers. Now, I'm the first one to, to, to put up my hand for answered prayers, but I've got to tell you the truth. Not every one of my prayers that I've prayed have been answered or not answered yet. All right? And so it's not because there's anything wrong with God. There's something wrong with my prayers. Sometimes we pray silly prayers. Sometimes we only talk. Uh, and we don't engage our faith. And sometimes we don't know and understand the mechanics of faith. And so therefore, if we don't get answers to our prayers, <laughs> we better not point our bony finger at God and say, God, you didn't answer my prayers. It's like saying, okay, Lord, what have I done wrong? Did I, do I need to adjust something in my life? Is there something that, that I'm not doing right that hinders the flow of God's blessing uh, in my life? And so unlike genuine faith... Results-based faith isn't seated on a historical event. It remains active and intact only as long as certain results are forthcoming. Can you see the difference? It's a bit subtle, I know, uh, um, but there is a major difference. Um, and in fact, I have a quote here from one called uh, Lichtenberg, a uh, philosopher. Uh, and he speaks on experience. And experience uh, is to some extent another word for results. Uh, uh, when we want to have certain results for serving God or for this and that and the other, uh, we might also say that we want to have a certain experience. And he, said, he says, what is the good of drawing conclusions from experience? I don't deny that we sometimes draw the right conclusions, but don't we just as often draw the wrong ones? There's a bit of wisdom in that people having a results-based Christianity or an experience-based Christianity as opposed to a revelation-based Christianity. And the two are worlds apart. Revelation-based faith is centered on the person of Jesus Christ, and it says, I need to serve God regardless. Why? Because of what he's done on the cross of Calvary. Because that's what he has created me for. I'm created for God's pleasure. All right? I'm not created to do my own thing and to try to get God on my side and to bless me, uh, to bless my walk. But I'm to step into God's walk, which is blessed already. Uh, though, we need to recognize that uh, in the Christian walk, there's not just pleasant things such as answered prayers and all kinds of wonderful things that, that God does in our lives and things that we were able to receive. But there's also unpleasant things, such as trials and tribulations and struggles and, uh, and temptations and uh, persecution in some instances. 
People have been disowned by their families because they committed their life to Jesus Christ and because their family were not of that persuasion. Uh, <clears throat> chapter that I went to church with years ago, bless his heart, a good man, he got thoroughly converted. Uh, the interesting thing was that he was out of a Catholic family, out of all things. When he got born again, his family literally sent him out the door and disowned him and said, we don't want you here anymore. Now, that's a tragedy. And of course, that's not to say that all Catholics are bad or Catholicism is, is, is all bad or anything like that. But I'm simply saying that sometimes people pay a terrible price in serving God. And people with a results-based faith or Christianity don't get anywhere near that because that thing falls over before the challenges even properly start. Because that, that type of faith is so, is so easily discouraged and so easily blown over that all it takes is praying for something and tomorrow, tomorrow it hasn't turned up and say, well, God's a fake. I mean, God can't exist because if he did exist, he would have blessed me, he would have answered my prayers. Is this helping anybody today? Oh, I tell you, friend, I tell you. <laughs> um, and so a results-based faith is centered on self. It says, I want this, I want that. Whereas the genuine faith is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Revelation-based faith, which is the proper one, it gladly picks up the cross and follows Jesus Christ. In fact, we'll have a look at that passage in just a moment. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Now, I wonder how many of you, when you got saved, they told you that there was a cross to be picked up. And you know, today we have such an easy believism. Uh, it's like, uh, it's, it goes like this. God's got a plan for your life. He loves you. If you pray this prayer, your life will be sweet ever thereafter. Friend, if that's what they told you, can I suggest to you that they lied to you? That's not the whole story. It is true that God loves us. It is true that God has a plan for our lives. But friend, for that plan to have come about, somebody had to die on the cross. And he's the Lord of lords. And he's the King of kings. And he's to be worshipped. And we are to bow down before him and attach no conditions to our commitment to him because he's already done everything that he needed to do to de be deserving of our worship, to be deserving, deserving of our service, and to be uh, deserving of our full and of our utter devotion. Results-based faith doesn't want to hear about carrying a cross. It wants to be pampered all the time. Now, we speak about results-based faith. Uh, there are various kinds of faith. Even within the genuine type of faith, there is subcategories, if I can say that. There's strong faith, there's weak faith, there's struggling faith, and so forth. So uh, I don't think it is uh, necessary for any of us to point our finger at anybody else and say, oh, they've got a results-type faith. Uh, da, 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 da. You know, sometimes people with weak faith, you know, weak faith will fall over just the same in a time of struggle. Uh, that's why it is important that our faith is fed all the time on a steady and on a strong diet of God's Word. Good preaching and reading the Word of God to build up our faith so we can be strong. So when the challenges of life come, and my friend, I say when, it is not if they come. 
Because the Bible says that everybody that will live godly in this generation will experience persecution, will experience troubles. Somewhere along the line, there will be challenges. And sometimes the challenges are not external, they're internal. There is an inward battle going on all the time. And depending on what you do, it determines whether that's a battle of two equals or whether that's a battle of one stronger and one weaker. We have two natures residing on the inside of us. The old sin nature that we were born with, uh, thanks to Adam's sin that he committed. That's the sin nature that we were born with, and it's still with us today, even though we're born again. And then we have a new nature on the inside of us if we're born again, and the two are constantly struggling and wrestling, and constantly there's a toing and a froing going on all the time. And somebody said once, and I've used this example in, uh, in, in, uh, in various uh, uh, settings years ago. We had a new believers class and we talked about in fact let me repeat that example some of you have heard this imagine two dogs two pit bull dogs or two whatever dogs one's black one's white um, and, uh, and, and the two of them are fighting they're equal size equal age uh, and the two of them are fighting alright dog fighting and so the question is which one will win and the answer is the one who is fed the most and the one who is fittest will win. And that's why you and I, we need to starve the sin nature and not feed it on stuff that will make it strong. And we need to feed our faith nature. We need to feed the born-again spirit on the inside of us with the Word of God and worship God and, and serve God and do all of that stuff that makes it strong and, uh, and so that ultimately can override the sin nature because, as I said, there is like the two natures on the inside of us. Galatians tells us about it. Uh, it says that the two are, are, are at odds uh, with one another and one's trying to get ascendancy of the other. And so there's a toing and a froing and a toing and a froing. And ultimately, if you feed your born-again spirit, it'll get stronger and it'll suppress the sin nature. And you can just control it and move on in life and serve God and all is well. But as so soon as you put your spirit on a, on a diet, uh, on, on a starvation diet, you don't read your Bible. You, you don't get into church regularly. You don't get around brothers and sisters, sisters to encourage you. That thing will weaken. And in the meantime, you feed your... your, your, your your, your sin nature and all sorts of stuff suddenly uh, addictions will rear their heads again and suddenly people are drinking and smoking and into all sorts of other stuff and that feeds that thing and suddenly that thing will be like that great big and it will push down your born again spirit and not allow it to, to live out uh, uh, this, uh, this born again life that Jesus has uh, determined for us Matthew chapter 13 speaks about the parable of the sower. A very quick summary of it. Jesus says, the sower goes out to sow. And he sows the seed, and some seed falls by the wayside. He says, some seed falls on the rocky uh, soil, and some seed falls in amongst thorns and thistles, and some seed falls on good ground. Uh, and uh, so in other words, the seed is the same all the way through, but there's four different types of soil. The seed represents the Word of God, and the soil represents our heart. And it is our job to plow up our heart and to prepare it so that the seed of God's Word can take root there and grow and bring forth, as the Word says, some, 60, uh, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. Uh, the one by the wayside, uh, uh, Jesus says... Uh, 
the birds come, it's natural away, and then it's like you look at that same heart again, and it's like there's no change at all. Another one falls on stony ground, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, in uh, verse 20, it says, The one that received the seed, or in other words, the person that received the seed that fell on rocky places, is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he only lasts a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. And so we see what's happening here is that uh, people sometimes, they hear the gospel and say, oh, this is for me. I can be blessed. I can be prosperous. I can get my body healed. I can get my, my marriage sorted out. I can get all of this wonderful stuff done. In other words, people that have never counted the cross at uh, the cost, they've only seen the blessings, and blessings there is, my friend. Blessings galore. Like to be born again and to know that you're going to heaven. What a blessing that is. To have a life that is blessed. What, what, what an awesome thing that is. But there's a cost involved in the sense that we have to deny ourselves and commit our life to Jesus Christ with no conditions attached to it. And so he says here, he says, uh, at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he only lasts for a short time. Because the Bible then says that when, when the sun rises up and there's a little plant, plant that is grown in shallow soil, just a little bit of soil there underneath this rock, and so the, the, the seed is unable to, to put a root down into the ground because there's just rock there. There's hardness of heart there, you see. And so when the sun comes up, and strikes that plant, and, and when the plant is meant to be meant to be nourished and fed by the sunlight and everything, it is actually dried up because there is rock under there. A friend of mine years ago, I never forget this story. Each time I talk about the parable of the sower, I try to tell this story. I went into his backyard one day in the middle of summer, and there was lovely lush grass everywhere. It was just beautiful. Just he had really looked after his lawn. But right down the middle of the backyard, there was a strip about this wide. The grass was all burned. And I says, what have you done? He says, well, he says, when I ridded my back lawn, he says, there was a footpath there that I didn't want anymore. And so I sprayed a little bit of soil over the top of that footpath and put it everywhere else and planted the seed. And everything took off and everything was fantastic. But each time, he says, in the summertime, when the sun's really strong, that little bit of soil on top of that footpath dries out and then my grass dies every time. And it's like, hello, dig the thing up. <laughs> Having no root means having no revelation knowledge. As I say, many of us have come into the kingdom of God as a result of some experience, but my friend, that experience must lead to a revelation. Uh, otherwise, it'll wait for the next experience, and then it'll wait for the next experience, and then it'll, it'll wait for the next uh, 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 result, and it becomes a forward faith rather than a retrofit, and it is really no faith at all. Is this helping anybody? So it's a little bit like checkup time today. <laughs> Make sure that everybody holds the right key in their hand. Praise God. Results-based faith lifts a very shallow Christianity. It is not prepared to put up with any unpleasant aspects of Christianity, such as trials, self-sacrifice, and so forth. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's now talk about uh, changing from one to the other. 
If somebody indeed has discovered that they have a results-based uh, uh, results faith in their life, and, and if they want to uh, switch over to the genuine article, what do they do? How, how do you do that? I've got a few points written down that I hope is going to spell that out. Let me just have a little drink of water before we carry on. Number one, one simple word, it's called repent. Typically, people with their results-based faith have never fully repented. And so we have people in churches that are called Christians, and things are still sweet and good some months after they got born again, and sometimes a, a year or sometimes even a couple of years, but suddenly something happens in their lives, and uh, there is an attack, and suddenly they fall over and they disappear. We say, what's happened? Well, uh, friend, when you have a backward faith, a retro faith centered on the person of Jesus Christ and uh, seated on the completed work of Calvary, which Jesus uh, did 2,000 years ago, it really doesn't matter what happens in the future at all. Because you have decided to serve God regardless of what happens in the future. So good days, bad days. Wonderful days, challenging days. Good years, not so good years. It doesn't matter because your faith is not based on what you experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Your faith is based on a historical event. All right? And so people, the second line there says that the born-again experience must be preceded I said again, the born-again experience must be preceded by repentance. In other words, if a person does not repent, they can't be born again. And therefore, if a person does not have a revelation on the rottenness of their of their nature on the inside of them, that sin nature that uh, Adam has handed to us, if they don't have a, a sense of revelation on, 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 on how, how, how badly they have misguarded and how, how uh, when I say misguarded, how they have uh, sort of, even any attempt of, of religiousness is not good enough. The Bible says that our own righteousness is as filthy rags before God. In other words, God doesn't want our attempts of buying our way into his favor uh, and trying to get saved on the merits of what we have done. No person can get saved unless they trust in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. And repentance uh, is one of those things that can't be circumvented, it can't be bypassed. If repentance is not there, a person can't be born again, and yet they might be standing in church, they might be worshiping God along with everybody else, lifting up their hands and so forth, but if they've never repented, they have a make-believe type faith that is not the genuine article that we are talking about here today. It's interesting, too, that the Bible says that it is the goodness of God that leads people to repentance, the goodness of God. And Frank, can I suggest to you that uh, we do not fully realize the goodness of God until we understand the badness of man before he gets born again. To give you one example of that, if I, if I were to give you 
sugar and nothing but sugar to taste or to eat, you would never know how sweet that sugar is until you've tasted salt to have something to compare it with in terms of, you know, what we're saying here in terms of you have no reference point. The goodness of God and the reference point to some extent is the badness of man. And that's why the word says over in Jeremiah that the heart of man is, what does it say? It says it is desperately wicked or exceedingly wicked above all things. So in other words, the, the conniving nature of, of, of an unborn again can be a good person, by the way. And we're not talking criminals. We're not talking murderers or anything of the like. We're talking human beings right across the board. But in terms of uh, being faced with God and the being, ha having an encounter with God and suddenly it's like that squirmy nature. Well, well I'm not so bad. Uh, I, you know, Jesus didn't have to die for me. I didn't murder anybody. I didn't rob any banks. I'm not a bad guy. Squirming and wiggling and wrangling and wriggling and, and everything else. Does that make sense to anybody? So the goodness of God to some extent is recognized by the badness of man. And if people don't recognize their own sin and their gross failure in God's economy, then they don't recognize the goodness of God. And it is that goodness that leads a person to repentance. Can you see the connection there? Um, huge. It's absolutely huge. And so can I suggest to you that... Uh, that uh, Christendom, we can't call it Christianity because Christianity is the Bible Christianity, but Christendom, as in the church world as a whole, if branches within that do not require repentance before being born again, you can fill up churches with people who will all go to hell even after years and years and years of church attendance. And what a tragedy is that. And so repentance, there must be repentance there. Lord, I've blown it. I've just, my efforts are not good enough. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Peter preaching the gospel to the people there. And by the way, these were to quite an extent religious folk who went to synagogue. Saturday after Saturday and heard the preaching of the rabbis and everything else he said to them repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord a person who is unable or unwilling to repent cannot be converted either because repentance precedes conversion number two seek God and ask him for a revelation if somebody says oh boy I think I've been living one of those results-type-based uh, faith. I just realized that uh, I might not have had the genuine article. And all along, I, I was thinking that I was going to heaven and, and so forth. Well, seek God and ask Him for a revelation. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Sow for yourselves righteousness and reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up the unplowed ground. Uh, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. One translation says, break up the fallow ground. Fallow meaning that any farmer understands fallow ground. Uh, 
Fallow ground is the ground that is unplowed. Uh, and typically, uh, farmers do not put seed on ground that has not previously been prepared and worked over. And as I said, when I, I grew up on a farm, and, and one, of my, one of my jobs was in springtime and sometimes in autumn, depending on what fields and depending on what type of uh, crop was planted at the time, to plow the fields with a, an old tractor and the, the two-plow thing in the back and just going to and fro. bit tedious, really. It takes a long time, and it's very boring. You sit there, the tractor is noisy, and not like them fancy things they have today where you're inside a cabin and you can listen to music. No, there was no cabin and there was no music. It's just boring going back and forth. And so we break up the, 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 the ground, and then afterwards we run over it again with a type of a, a rake to break up, break up the clods and, and, and the bigger lumps of soil and everything so that the, 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 the field is now ready to have the seed planted on it uh, so that something will actually come up. And tragically, uh, people have had the seed sown on unprepared ground um, and sometimes... Like, I'm always one for say, okay, come on, let's push for salvation here. Let's, let's push for the born-again experience. But if you rush somebody too much uh, in terms of having preached the gospel to them and coax them into making a premature decision before they're thoroughly aware as to how bad they really are, and, you know, that's why the Bible says that it is the, it is the law of God that is like a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. You know, the Ten Commandments really point out that we've really practically blown every one of them. Um, and, you know, somebody might say, well, I haven't committed any adultery. Well, that's why Jesus said you don't even have to go out and physically commit adultery with a, with a woman. All you have to do is look, after, look at one and lust after her. Jesus says you've already committed it in your heart. And, and so in, in that respect, we've blown, it, think we've blown it left, right, and center. <laughs> Just... Don't measure up at all. But of course, that's the bad news. But the good news is that's why Jesus died on the cross. He knew that. And God's not clobbering us and God's not pushing us down, but He wants us to have a revelation. And so, let's pray for a revelation. Ephesians 1.16 says, I have not stopped giving thanks to God for you. I always remember you in my prayers, asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. All right, and of course, this is Paul the Apostle praying for the Ephesian church, and we've said this before, that we can pray this prayer for ourselves, and it is a good thing to do. So, Lord, give me a revelation. Uh, number three, learn to delight in serving and giving, denying yourself and in sacrificing. And let me qualify that point, sacrificing, because we don't want to just say that we need to find lambs and cows and slaughter them to sacrifice like they did in the Old Testament, all right? Mark chapter 8, verse 34. When Jesus had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whatever desire, uh, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. And so taking up the cross and following Jesus, letting him take up his cross, his cross. Everyone's got a cross of sorts. Now that cross does not mean that we have to carry our own sin or anybody else's sin. It, that cross is not that we have to be sick. That is not what that cross is speaking about. But every one of us are faced with challenges that we have for serving God. 
In some instances, our cross might be the family is against us, that we've become born again, and they resent the fact that we serve God, that we're in church on a Sunday, and so forth. In other instances, it could be something else. Somebody else might say, well, if only I were not a Christian, I would have this opportunity or that opportunity. Jesus says, pick up your cross and don't complain. You can't be everywhere and serve God at the same time. You've got to work out where you are. If you're for God, then be for Him. If you're not for Him, there is no middle ground. Work out where you are. And in terms of, uh, of that challenge there that Jesus issued, He says, all right, He says, if anybody really wants to come after me, it's not all about blessings, even though there are many, many blessings. In fact, blessings galore. He says, uh, he says whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself in his own ambitions and his own plans and submit him to me. In fact, more often than not, you will find if you submit your plans to God, there are bits in there that God says, all right, in the right time, we're going to resurrect that and we're going to make this happen for you. But right now, in terms of being saved, it's not about you. It's about you developing the right attitude towards God and developing a faith that will withstand the attacks of the enemy because anybody with a results-based faith, the devil will make sure that sooner or later all hell breaks loose and in fact it doesn't take all hell to blow over a results-based faith. It blows over with a couple of strong puffs of wind and it's gone. And Then we wonder why people don't want to serve God anymore. It says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, and the gospel will save it. And last scripture in Mark chapter 8, uh, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says, Calling the crowds uh, to join his disciples, he said, Anyone who intends to come, actually, this is the same passage, but it's out of the message translation. So it just brings out different facets of truth there. It says, Anyone who intends to come to me has to let me, let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to save yourself, your true self. Isn't that something? And so in the Christian life, we need to take it all. Yes, we take the blessings, but we also need to be prepared for the challenges that come with it, whatever they may be. Not everybody experiences the same challenges. Not everyone's cross is the same. But whatever it is, praise God. We pick it up joyfully and we learn to rejoice in the middle of trials and, and situations. And our trust in God, remember, is not based on what happens in our lives today, tomorrow, or the following day. It is based on the revelation of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross 2,000 years ago. And it is bad that, that faith is, is centered not on results, but it is centered on a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Just bow your heads with me as we pray for just a moment. Father, Heavenly Father, we once again want to thank you, Lord, that uh, you are calling people out of spiritual darkness into your wonderful and into your marvelous light. People are delivered from the power of the devil, from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of you, dear Son. And Lord, faith is a gift from God. Repentance is something that you grant to us, Lord. It's not something that we conjure up. And Lord, I pray for every man, every woman, every child in this place here today. And Lord, having analyzed our faith, we pray, help us, Lord, to discern what exactly is going on in each and every one of our hearts. Help us, Lord Jesus, to lay a hold of the right thing so that we're not found to be wanting when we get to the end of our lives, only to realize that they've duped us into uh, believing the wrong thing. Lord, we want to believe the right thing. Lord Jesus, we truly believe 
that you've died on the cross on our behalf. We truly believe that you're Lord and King. You're not just another prophet, but you're the prophet. You're not just another apostle, but you're the apostle of our faith. Uh, Lord, you're not just another shepherd, but you are the chief shepherd of our souls. You are everything to us. And this morning, Lord, we commit to worship you afresh. This morning, Lord, we commit to serve you afresh. That 2009, we will be found in the house because we want to serve you all the days of our lives. And Lord, our love is expressed by obeying your commandments. And so, Lord, I pray for every man, every woman, every child. And I pray, God, let there be a revelation here this morning. Let there be an, an, an insight and an understanding, Lord, in regards to the true nature of what is really going on in terms of our faith. And Lord, as I'm praying right now, we thank you, Father, that by your Spirit you're hovering over this crowd of people. And Lord, you're touching lives. I thank you, Lord God, that Lord, people are ready to come out of darkness into your wonderful and into your marvelous light, even this morning. Lord, you said that today is the day of salvation. And so, Father, I pray for those that need to be saved this morning. Lord, that they recognize the goodness of God. The true repentance will be forthcoming even now. Lord, a sense of, uh, uh, a sense of, 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 of our efforts not being good enough in the presence of God. I just want, as I'm praying, and your head's bowed and your eyes are closed, and, and, and perhaps you're here this morning, and people are here this morning that I've never met before. We've got a number of visitors uh, that I've never met before. We've got others that uh, you've perhaps been visiting this church for a while, and I, I don't really know you well enough to say that I, I'll be confident that uh, everybody is born again. And, and uh, we're talking about uh, committing our life to Jesus Christ here this morning. And if you haven't done so previously or not thoroughly with a sense of uh, committing to God in an unqualified sort of a sense, you want to do so this morning, then I'd really like to pray for you. I'd really like to, 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 to pray that, uh, that your life will change even, even right now, uh, that uh, this is not something that you have to wait for years and years. This is something that can be done even this morning. And if that's you and you want me to pray for you, then I wonder if you just want to raise up your hand for just a moment, put it back down again. And this is something that... Uh, I'm not about to, to, to make you stand up or sing a song or confess your sins or anything like that. I simply want to know whom I'm praying for, people that want to be born again. You might have had a religious experience before. You might even be a churchgoer, but suddenly you realize that you've never been thoroughly born again. You've never uh, thoroughly committed your life to Jesus Christ. Is there anybody at all that says, I, I need to do that this morning? Anybody at all? This is your moment. Raise up your hand quickly now. Praise God. Anybody at all? Thank you, Father. Praise God. Being born of the Spirit of God. Being thoroughly converted. What a blessing that is. Serving God with an unqualified, not attaching conditions to it. I thank you, Father, for my brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord, for every person in the house here today. Praise God. Second call, there might be people here this morning that uh, you suddenly realize that you place too much emphasis on the results rather than on, on, on Jesus Christ and on serving Him. And somehow you got caught up in, uh, in just getting disappointed with God because He has not, in, in your mind, come through in areas where you, you felt He should have come through uh, and so forth. And suddenly you realize that you, your faith was based on, on the wrong thing and you want to just make that change this morning. Is there anybody at all? It says, I, I suddenly realized that uh, I haven't hit, hit the genuine article uh, or somehow it had aspects with my faith all, all mixed up, all, all wrong. Anybody at all? Praise God. Thank you, Father. I see that hand. Thank you, sir.
Praise God. We're about to pray. Anybody else that wants to be prayed for? Hallelujah. Father, I thank you, Lord, uh, that this word was for us today. It wasn't for the crowd down the road, and it wasn't for people up the road. It was for this house. And Lord, it is for people that will lay hold of this recording, and it'll help them too. And this morning, Father, I thank you, Lord, for every person in the house. Lord, let there be a reconfiguring of what's going on in our heart in terms of our commitment. May we be unqualified in our commitment to Jesus Christ, especially in these last days. Maybe, Lord, uh, be totally sold out to Jesus Christ with no conditions attached at all. And I thank you, Lord God, that every person is now strengthened with might by your Spirit in the inner man. We pronounce a blessing over every, every person, over every, every man, every woman, every child, over, over every household that is represented here today. A blessing from God, Lord, that a visitation from your Spirit takes place. The Spirit of wisdom and revelation descending on people's lives in a fresh way. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Well, friends, it's a good day. We're going to have some lunch together now. If anybody wants uh, uh, prayer in any specific area, feel free to come. But otherwise, we're preparing for lunch, which will be served in just a few minutes. Let me just give thanks right now for the food. If you're a visitor, please stay behind. We'll just pray and just trust God that there will be enough to go around uh, and uh, enjoy some fellowship. Father, I thank you.